Hey there, it's Pastor Evan here. Welcome to Unpacked. This is a new series, Unpacking Life as a Messy Human. We're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically. We hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations, the stories, and the interviews. Have a listen and subscribe. This week on Unpacked, we're chatting with Rob Peterson, Associate Superintendent of the Evangelical Covenant Church of Canada and Director of Spiritual Direction at North Park Seminary. I'm very proud to call Rob my mentor and my friend. Rob and I jump into discussions on leadership, church planting, and working together. In this two-part podcast, we tell some stories of what it meant to work together, some of the insecurities we've experienced over the years and loneliness as leaders, and the greatest gift of getting to hang out with God's people. I hope you enjoy. Uh, on that note, I, I should share a story because I think this is so fascinating. Your your brother, Rod, who is a spiritual director, and he, he has been an incredible gift, an incredible gift. And he has his unique, and when he was first developing his ability to listen in this way, he has this unique gift of, of having listening for God's spirit and then being brave enough to walk up to people and tell them, tell them what he heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember uh, when he was doing that at, at Hope, he was just kind of getting going, I think, doing it. And I remember I came into your office and I was like, your brother is scaring the hell out of me. I, I am so scared of, <laughs> that he is going to come up to me and tap on my shoulder and have a word from the Lord for me. And I'll never forget what you said. Um, I remember you saying, if that happens. And, and it's one way of discerning if it is actually a word from the Lord or just Rod. Is if it's accompanied with peace. Yeah. And the, even if he says you're doing something that you need to stop doing. <laughs> right? That it will still come accompanied with a sense of peace that God is with you and going to walk with you through that. And that, um, I have said that to people and, and it made me be, I have been so less afraid to hear what God might have to, it's not what Rod has to say, but what God might have to say to me. Because I know that it'll be accompanied with peace. That was actually something you told me, and I have never forgotten it. So I, I, I really, really appreciate that. And, and what, what I think of when you say that, Evan, is that one of the things that I, I wish I, I could have done, maybe I can do in the remaining of my life, is, is convince people of the amazing love of God for us. That... Why would God come to us in whatever form and say, you're a schmuck, get your life together? That doesn't sound like Christ to me. Jesus has some really challenging things to say to his people, but it will always feel like this penetrating love. I'm convinced. This penetrating, beautiful love, because Christ has our best always for us. And comes to us in love, wanting us to know that we are his beloved friends, disciples. And uh, but most of us, and this is what I'm saying, I wish I could, I wish I had a magic wand 
where you could, you know, wave it over people and they'd actually believe that God's first impulse toward them is not that God's disappointed with them or God is angry with them, that God's first impulse always is to let us know that we are the beloved, his beloved, God's beloved children. So it, it, you, you, you said it in a different way, but I, I just would add, you know, and that sense of peace that comes is the sense of God, God being for us. And well, that, that take a, that's taken me a long time to believe that God's, that when I close my eyes and imagine God, God is smiling when God is looking at me. Yeah. That, that's in part what I think being a good minister of the gospel is, is coming back to this foundational truth of the, the, the incredible love of God for, for the world and for the people and for, and for me. Uh, I love that. I, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, actually probably a month or two into the pandemic, when, when for me personally, something kind of beautiful has happened in this last year. And, and that is that, um, I think all pastors, this happens to all pastors. At times we can get derailed by the, the running of the machine. Yep. And uh, one of the gifts that the pandemic has brought is that the machine stopped. And um, now there was other new little tools you had to learn how to use. And I'm still, I am still not at a place where I, I can preach into a tiny little dot on the back of my phone. And, convey what I, what I'm really feeling for my people and for, for God. Um, but I wrote, I, I started writing a little bit, just trying to journal my way through it. And, and uh, one of my little journal entries was I've been at this 26, 27 years and pretty much the essence of my job is just trying to tell people that they are loved. Yep. And, and uh, in that entry, what I, what I did say was, and that, I really need that the top of the list of people who need to remember that is, is me. That yeah. I forget that. I, I'm usually the first to forget. Great at reminding everybody else, not so good at, at my own interior, the, the interior life of reminding myself that, that I'm a beloved child of God. Yeah. yeah. I, um, Anyways, you, you are I, gifted at that. You've always been very good at that. But, yeah. Well, I'm grateful for that, but <clears throat> So, you, you know, I, I, pretty much anything Eugene Peterson has written, I've read like 10 times. Um, and the reason for that is that this is in part what I resonated with his perspective of pastor. The story that I remember, um, so I, I watched the memorial service for Eugene Peterson. Mm. And his, his son, anyway, he's a pastor. And he led the service and he, he preached this homily, this short sermon. He said, you know what, folks, I know, I know that you, you probably, a lot of you read my dad's books um, and were influenced by his, his writing and, and his speaking. But I told my dad often that he really had one sermon and he just preached it a thousand times. And he said, here's my dad's one sermon. And it's this. I said, okay, I'm all ears right? What's the one sermon that he preached a hundred different ways? God is for you. God loves you. 
and God is relentless in coming to find you. That's my dad's one sermon. Hmm. I said, amen. Hmm. And that would be true of his service. (laughs) That's what I want my life to be about. Hmm. Because I think people are so hungry to know so this is what the spiritual search is about, right? I mean, we're all looking for something. And what, what are we looking for? I don't think we're looking for prestige, though sometimes it shows up that way. I think we're all looking for this, for God, for, for God's love for us. What's the difference between a pastor and a leader? Well, let me make an observation first, though. Haven't you noticed? Now, I'm so I'm older than you, you folks. But so I, I noticed about 20 years ago <clears throat> that the word leader began to creep into all of the books coming out of the Christian press industry. I'm not the first one to know this. In fact, Eugene Peterson and, and Marva Dawn, um, actually more recently, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, some women writers, we've all noticed the same thing that that the word pastor is being replaced with leader and that when the church actually starts thinking about, okay, what do we need? Well, we need a dynamic leader to help our church navigate all that's happening in the world. If, if they have really strong leadership gifts, that will be what the church will need. I would not deny the importance of that. But when you ask me, what is the historic understanding of what pastor is? It is the person nudged by God to care for the souls of people. Soul care, not getting souls into heaven kind of language. Soul defined as what the Bible says, the soul is that part of us that is the real us. It's the, it's the thing that God made us to be. And we, I have, each of us has a unique sort of way of, of being in the world. That's our soul when nobody's looking who are we when no one's that that's that's this deep part of us that God has made. It's more than our body, it's more than our mind. I think the pastor is the one who is stands in, in the community of faith and uses several tools, but really preaching, sacraments, and presence and community. This is this is sort of our tools of the trade. We use that to ask the question. How are you and God getting along? How is your soul? And how might I help you connect with the God who loves you, who knows you, and is relentless in coming to find you? I mean, that. so the difference is, and a leader is somebody who is attempting to lead a group, even a Christian leader, toward the vision that God has for that particular group. So it, it, it's, it's, it's not antithetical to being a pastor but it i just think i just think what the church needs <laughs> this is just me it, it it needs this is going to sound terrible it needs holy spirit infused deep people who understand that the church is god's bride that the church is god's and, and we are not necessarily designed or meant to make it great again. It already has a leader. 
that has Jesus as the leader. And, and so for me, it's always been about how do I help people connect, be good followers of the leader? That's not me. But my role is how are, how are you and God doing? How are you connecting to Christ? Where's the spirit involved in your life? And to get out of the way of, of what, what God's doing in a church or in a person's life. Um, but I, I, I totally recognize I don't connect with a lot of people when I start talking this way. Um, and it, it's just kind of my weirdness factor. You, you, you do have a really strong weirdness factor. So it could be that. But, I, but I, I think what is so hard about it is that accepting, so me as a pastor, accepting that with all of the brokenness I carry around with me or, or that I've shed even and all, all of that, that I could still deliver and be a part of telling the great story becomes hard to believe and becomes easier to just lead. And that, I'm not, I'm not trying to yeah. downplay leadership or any of those things, but, but I would say that for me personally, it resonates with me and, and it resonates with me because I've been in over my head quite a few times in, in my life. And for me being in over my head, ultimately leads, leads me to, to desperation and, and to a place where I'm like, okay, God, I've always asked you to fill in the little gaps in my ministries and the things that I'm trying to do to do the church, like all, all bad language when we talk about our role in the church, but we, we say those things. And when I, when I realize those, those gaps are just huge, like big giant voids, of things that are missing in my life that I can't lead or can't do, then I end up becoming desperate enough. That that's what that's been what the pandemic has been good for for me, uh, in, in that it was so big last March that that there wasn't a way to lead us out of it. And I remember you know telling this to my leadership and telling this to people, and I think somebody once told me that it's in crisis where you find out whether you're a pastor or you're a leader. Somebody told me that whether your pastor's heart, where does your pastor's heart go? What happens? Do you yeah. fall back into, I'll lead you, follow me. I'll lead you out of this, or this is hard and I'll join you in it. So this, this is kind of how I've, I've, there's, there's, there's dissonance in this too, from the oven that I, I, I don't deny that God gifts people with the ability to see a vision, see a picture and to move people toward God's preference for them. Like the kingdom of God is this unfolding story. All that I, I've come to do is just to add the word pastor in its historic significance as the modifier. So I am a youth pastor or I'm a pastor who, who cares for youth. I'm a pastor who leads people in worship. I'm a pastor who oversees the staff of a church. I'm a pastor who provides congregational care. For me, it so what we all have in common, whether you're whatever role you have in the church, and even for leaders of the church, it has to do with what is God doing in the church and how are people relating well or not well to God. So the worship leader is not just singing songs, right? No, they're, they're trying to connect people to the presence of the Trinity in the community of faith whenever they gather for worship. And the youth pastor is not just doing games. 
they actually are caring for the soul of students who are on a search for God. So I, I, I've come around to say, it, it's just such an important, for me, a posture that everything I do arises out of, oh, I'm trying to care for the soul, the well, the soul of people. Um, and I do it in all kinds of ways. Sometimes I do that through leadership. I, I want to talk to you about loneliness for a little bit. Got it. Um, because, uh, because I think every pastor, every leader, every human, even this year, every human has experienced loneliness on some levels. And I, I want to start with a little, a little story. I remember I was a youth guy and you were the, you were the lead pastor. We were driving home from Entheos Retreat Center. I remember where we were. And uh, now there are just houses and stores and all things along that road. Really? Yes, absolutely. But it felt like we were out in the, we, well, we were out in the country. It's just no longer the country. Anyways, and um, I always used to get pumped. He was super excited about being with all the other pastors and seeing the other youth pastors and all those things. And, and I'm a people guy, so I, that was energizing for me. And I remember asking you, how was it? Like, how was it for you? What was it like? And all those kind of things. And I remember you saying at the time, the most foreign thing. I, 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 at the time, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But, but I said, how was it for you? And you went, you know, Evan, I don't, I don't fit in very many places. And at the time, I remember thinking that was so sad. And I didn't understand what that, what you were talking about or what you meant. I don't know if you remember that. Probably not. Because right. for you, it was likely just something you said in passing. But for me, it was like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Mm. But I think I do now. But I'm curious for you, what is, what is your journey of loneliness been like? Here's, here's what I've noticed. And, and this is partly through what I've, the reading that I've done, but also my own observation is that everybody feels lonely. It's a human, it's a human feeling, the human predicament that we, you can, you can have, you can be, if, if you're married, um, you can have a vibrant, flourishing marriage, and yet you have moments where it just catches your, it catches your breath. You say, "I actually feel lonely." Like, what is that? Right? I, I don't know if you've had that or not. I, I have, mm -hmm. and my wife and I, we've talked about that. Or you're, you're in a crowd, and this is probably what I was getting at. You're in a crowd of, of colleagues, and yet you have this little thing of, "I'm missing something here. I don't feel like I fit." I'm, I'm not as afraid of it anymore. It, it's just something it is. Henry Nouwen, in, in one of his books, The Journey from Loneliness to Solitude, his point is that what if loneliness is actually a calling card of God? So what I've, what I've come to realize is that it, it comes and goes in my life, the sense of being alone or lonely, but... I see it now as an invitation to pay attention, not to be afraid of it, and to let it woo me, draw me toward God. 
when I try to fill that loneliness with whatever it is, you know, binge Netflix or, or eating or exercise, when I, I, I miss, it's still there. It's like I push, I repress this loneliness down, but when I just let it be, and spiritual direction helps me name this when, I, when I'm feeling lonely, I just let it be. It becomes again, this invitation to learn to be by myself, solitude, and to be at peace with being by myself and with God. It doesn't solve the problem. So what I find when I, I encounter people who are lonely and many pastors, but again, actually everybody, everybody feels lonely. It's a great occasion to talk about. I wonder what I wonder what's going on there. Why why do you feel lonely? And and to be curious with people, and and then to ask as as people, as pastors, how how might God be in that for you? And and to let people kind of. Some, some people struggle with this. Like, we should not be lonely. You know, the, the Christian life is happy. Well, yes, but I think we all feel this. So well, loneliness is not like the plague to run from. It's maybe a companion. That's how I, um, that's how I feel about my sadness. Right. Yeah. Like I, I have most definitely experienced loneliness lot, lots and for different reasons. And, but I often, you know, you've used some metaphors there, like clouds and things like that, that I've used very recently when talking about sadness. I, I have come to realize that, that with God's help, I don't have to run from my sadness. Like I, like I used to. Yep. And um, that if the cloud of sadness, which I think metaphorically I, I've run from my whole life, that, that I can let those clouds roll over me. And I, I, would, I would frame it this way, that we are not our sadness or we are not our loneliness. We are, we're so much more. But that's mm. what we feel at the moment. But again, I, I think it's... And this is, this is why mentoring is so important in the local church, where those who are a little bit further down the journey can come alongside young adults who are adulting, like the rest of us. But anyway, people, they have, they have so many questions about this. Why, why do I feel so alone at church? When you're young, you, you, the advice that you give is, well, just sign up for something. Yeah, yeah. start volunteering. Just get busy. But... The wisdom of the body, if, if we release it and, 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 and trust that God will put those further down the journey with those who are younger, the mentor can say, let's talk about this. Tell me more. Tell me more about your sadness. How might God be with you? Without Sunday school answers, right? I mean, without trying to so solve people's issues, I, I think this is what when the church is doing, when the church is working, we, we have these kinds of conversations about what's real. And we need somebody to help us to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is just the way it is right now. Yeah. Interesting. Can you describe or explain to Tara a little bit of the table metaphor, the boardroom table metaphor? 
Okay. And how you see and understand that Tara's 31. So she's kind of working on her boardroom table. Yes. So can you tell her, explain that? Well, let me ask Tara a question. Who, who would you, who do you imagine are the, the voices at the board table of your life? Like, like what, who, who would, who would, what voices do you, do you listen to in your, in your mind, your head that kind of talk to you? Imaginary. I mean, again, it's a metaphor. So the, the, the table is a metaphor that ev everybody, we have self-talk. Mm -hmm. We have voices that we have cultivated and let grow in our mind. So for some people, it's, it's their parents. Mm -hmm. And their, their parents are, are, have been maybe overly demanding or overly critical. And they, they're at the board table. <clears throat> so when a decision is going to be made or when you, you're thinking about your life, you've got all of these imaginary people who are sitting at some voices that are around the table are quite encouraging. Some voices around the table are quite critical of us, but nobody knows this is how we function. We, we just have this cloud of voices. So what, what voices have you realized in your own life that you, that occupy your, your head space or your heart space? Mm, I think for me, one like definitely sounds encouraging and positive it's probably more like my mom's voice it's very yep. caring and gentle it's like a cheerleader yeah um i think i sometimes imagine like jesus being very like gentle and wise yep. and truthful i have some good friends who ask like good questions of me help reveal truth and then i have like i don't know what the name would be but like definitely a critical voice or a self-doubt. Yeah, fearful, there'd be that as well. So for me, this metaphor is helpful when, I, when I'm listening to people as a spiritual director or as a pastor, because sometimes when they're talking, you can actually, you say, you know, this really doesn't sound like your voice. This sounds like the voice of somebody else. And so in a, in, in a playful way, I will, I will try to find a way for people to say, does this voice ring true for you right now? Like, it, it sounds, Tara, like you're listening to this critical voice. Tell me more about that. Because okay, occasionally we have to fire people from our board of directors because they're just not helpful anymore. The, we grow up and we say, you know what? Actually, I don't need that voice, that, that hyper. And it might not even be apparent. It might actually just be our own self. But the voice represented at our boardroom table is this critical, you really should be better than you are, which is not the voice of Christ. So occasionally you got to fire people. And occasionally you have to invite other voices to the table. Maybe it's a writer to allow them to, to speak into your life. So that, that's, that's the metaphor, a, a way to be aware of our thoughts, because our thoughts are important in forming kind of our feelings and our behavior, though they're all mixed together. Sometimes our feelings shape our thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. But um, that's the metaphor that I have found helpful. Who's at the boardroom table that uh, you, you need to listen to more or you need to listen to less? I used to um, 
I, I used to add to that all the time that it was like, so when I heard this first metaphor, which was a long, long time ago, I used to think about like anyone who was saying or any voice that was saying something good about me could pull up a chair. Right. But that didn't mean they knew me or even knew what I was doing that they were encouraging. It, it was just like, I wanted so badly to hear good stuff right. that I would, I would take in anything, even if it wasn't true, as long as they said it and they believed it was good enough, you know, and it's like, but, but I realized some time ago that it, even letting in all of the positive voices and, and positive comments even that were was creating some havoc and, and, and disorienting me from what I think was truly what I, I was needing to pay attention to. Yeah, and, and, and for me though, I just kind of boil it down to when, when we sit in quiet and we move toward God at those moments, whatever it looks like for people, Tara, it might look different for you than it is for me. It is true that there is an inner dialogue that all of us entertain, or inner dialogues. There's multiple conversations that we're constantly having. And, and my only question as someone who cares for the soul of people is that needs to be brought into conversation and brought into the light of God so that you, you at least are aware for example, I have an image of God that just isn't healthy. I got that, for example. I'm not saying personally, but some people have images of God that just are not healthy. And, and if, the, if you never bring that into the light, you don't have a chance to let God kind of reform that. Um, so the table metaphor is that there's actually, <laughs> you could use it as well to talk about who are, what are all the images of God I have that speak into my, my thought life that I, I need to reflect on and uh, let, let go of some and let others, let other images of God become more predominant. Mm -hmm. Have you found that you needed other people or your spiritual director to help you understand when to fire those voices or when to exactly. allow other ones to speak? Absolutely, Tara. Yeah. They're like, and so, so when you're talking with somebody that, that is a mentor of yours, or you're mentoring someone, it it would it's it's a it's a good practice to to have them talk about what what they actually are, are thinking or, or feeling, as, as a way of kind of bringing into light what the real thing is going on. Many times it's all good, but occasionally when you get stuck spiritually. One of the things to think about is, ooh, I wonder if I'm listening to the wrong voices right now. I've let creep in this critical voice or this performing voice or this hyper-responsible voice, whatever it is. It's good. There you go, Terry. You got the table <laughs> metaphor and how it works. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, question for you, Rob, about mistakes. We all make them. Yes. And it's it's really easy to say it like that. Yes. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Yes. It's, it's a very different thing to actually name what they what happened. And right? Like <laughs> I have so many stories. <laughs> so so I, I want to ask you, like the one of the questions we kind of wrote here was 
you know, have you ever made, like assuming you've made some mistakes before, I'm sure there wasn't many, but have you ever made a mistake that's taught you something so profound you're glad you made it? Absolutely. Like what? Uh, two things come to mind. Um, I'll speak generically. There was, a, there was an occasion where a colleague of mine was, in, was really, really hurting. And I wanted to help. There's a woman in this case. And I wanted to help. And I thought it would be of good, of good character of mine and being a responsible pastor that I offered to call the counselor for her. Because she, she was really broken. And I, I remember calling that counselor, this is many years ago now, um, and the counselor said this, this is almost verbatim, Mr. Peterson, I think it would be best if we end our conversation and I would invite you to have so-and-so call me if she would like. It's not your responsibility to care for your colleague or to solve your colleagues' problems. That was the end of the conversation. Hmm. I will never ever forget that. The lesson in it for me, so the mistake was being overly, thinking I'm caring, but I was being overly responsible. And I've learned to be less responsible in that kind of way. So the lesson for me is, has been don't do the work that other people need to do on their own. And I should have asked her, do you have a counselor you should call? I think that would be good to call. And if she didn't have one, I could give her a number, but I should never have ever called the counselor for her. That's over-functioning. And in fact, I probably, that's one of the sub things of my life is that when people overfunction in a system, whether it's a family or church, people around them will naturally underfunction. It balances out. So overfunctioning pastors, leaders, whatever, tend to have around them underfunctioning people. I won't forget that. Second mistake. So sometimes I would got so tired as a pastor that I, I just I just didn't want to have to write another email or communicate another thing. And so th this is maybe more recent. There was there were some weird things happening culturally around all manner of stuff as it is in Canada, United States, um, around <clears throat> politics, pandemic, people have opinions about these things. Oh my goodness. And then when it gets wedded to Christianity that if you're a true Christian, you probably shouldn't wear a mask or, or what, whatever, however that unfolds for the local church. Um, or if you're a true Christian, you should really have compassion for others and wear your mask. I mean, so in, in light of a, a a storm cloud on the horizon. I was out of fatigue. I stopped communicating 
and just kind of pulled back into my shell. And what I discovered, and this is, this is my mistake, is that if you, if you don't fill the airwaves with the message that the church needs, people will broadcast their own signals and they'll tell their own stories. And those stories will become the major narrative of the church. So my lesson was, even when I'm tired, my mistake was, I'm just so exhausted. I don't want to say another thing. When in fact, that's the very moment the church needed a predominant voice of reason and compassion and grace to be filling the airwaves every other day. And I was, I just know. And so I let, I let several weeks go by without saying anything. And it came back. People filled the empty space with their own stuff and it wasn't healthy. Hmm. Oh, those are, those are, those are important mistakes. And, and you always have to just pray, right? That not too much harm. That's what I, I always pray. You know, I know I make mistakes, lots of them. And, and sometimes it's because I'm, quick with my mind but not always with my heart so i say things that are a little bit not not the way i want and and i always trust and hope that people will not only give me the benefit of the doubt but most definitely won't grow a new idea of what god is like based on my my response right um we have, I have told you this so many different times about what an incredible mentor you were and, and that we got to work together for 11 years. And I think I even said on the last day we were working together, I was like, I cannot think of a day when I didn't want to work with you. Right. You, you were just still are still are. And I still call you my, pa- you're my pastoral mentor, which is great. I don't use the word leader mentor. I just say pastoral mentor, which is good. So even the fact that, that, uh, we're interviewing you and, and uh, that you have been my pastoral mentor. That, that's who you've been my, my whole life. And people have heard me use that term a lot. Um, so Tara wanted me to ask this question. And uh, so, so we're going to throw it in here just to see. But so we meet at Smitty's. Yes. And we start doing work together. We'll leave it for the first little while there. What? What would you what, what was your first impression of of me, of me? I'm kind of scared but I also am kind of intrigued to hear the answer. My first impression was and I can't remember if you had a mullet or not but I don't I I can't remember if that was post cuz I knew you had a mullet and I, I that might have been the CBC days. That was CBC days, yes. Okay, so and anyway, put set that aside off the record. Don't record that. Evan used to drive. Was it a Camaro, a Firebird, mm-hmm. a Camaro, a Camaro, yep. a Camaro, yep. a mullet? And uh, so my first impression was, Evan has a new idea every two seconds, and he would come into my office and say, "Rob, I got this idea." And it would be like a big idea, not just like a, it was like the whole thing. <laughs> he had a plan. And I would say, oh, Evan, that, 
that sounds really interesting. <laughs> Tell me more. I said, well, maybe not right now. So that, that was my, that he, he had a race car for a brain. And it was going. That's still true. That's still true. Thousand miles an hour, and I, I often said, "Wow, like, where do you get all these ideas from?" Um, so that was my first impression. Lots of energy, but oh my goodness, we had so many good times, Evan. So anyway, that it's all good. You, you know, the other first impression is that I, I think intuitively I knew that you loved you love students. I absolutely knew that. Okay. And, and I, would, I would say, going, looking back at, at, at Hope Community, one of the things that God allowed us to do was to do youth ministry in a really powerful way because we were willing to do all kinds of crazy things. But part of, part of what God did is reached families through students, right? I mean, that, that, that's the story of Hope Community is by being really grace-based, come-as-you-are kind of ministry. We, we saw lots of families and kids come to faith in Christ. Hey, um, I, I have a couple quick questions for you that I want to just, they're like rapid-fire questions, and then we're done. Okay. Okay, so, um, okay, so, so here they come. Some of them are like serious questions, and some of them maybe not so much. Sure. Okay, so um, biblical leader you've learned from the most. Uh, Jesus. Of course. Uh, on average, uh, you're leading a group of people. Where are you? Out front? In the middle of the pack? Or bringing up the rear? On average. Bringing up the rear. Okay. You're making supper for you and Sony. What's your speciality? Oh, recently, I would say it's a, uh, it's a grilled chicken, Italian spice with lemon, uh, with some lemon and noodles. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Noodles. Good, good. Favorite part of pastoral leader, past being a pastor? Um, being with people at important times in their life. Okay. What was the score of your last round of golf? Uh, 80. Oh, <laughs> nice. Very nice. Okay. That's all. Okay. You did it. Hey, we're done. <laughs> this has been a gift, you guys. It, it has been for us. Yeah, I, definitely. <laughs> all right. Take care. Yeah. Thanks so much. We'll you talk too. to you later. Yeah, really okay. fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.